Good morning, everyone. Our scriptures are um, filled with many things to speak of, um, so I'd like to go immediately into them. Our first reading uh, tells of a conversation between God and Abram. And my friends, if you we go and study uh, what is happening, um, the conversation uh, is much deeper than it appears. And I can certainly speak to you about the ancient ritual that is described, uh, but there's something far more important uh, than that particular ritual. And uh, because in that conversation that God has with Abram, who would become Abraham, God begins the work of restoring humans to the image of himself. But that restoration that began with a covenant with Abraham would not be fulfilled. That means the full restoration of human nature to the divine image would not be complete until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are told in this conversation the faith of Abraham was the beginning of that restoration. We are told his faith was so great it was righteous. My friends, if you're not quite sure what I'm speaking about, I'm talking about what happened in the garden and Genesis. The story, the image of God in human nature is broken by sin. Human nature, Genesis 1:26 tells us, was created in the very image of God. Does that mean like Father Mark with dark hair and olive skin? Or the young man with fair skin. and No, not that kind of image. The image of God in his goodness, in his greatness, in his eternity. The sin of our first parents destroyed this and distorted the image of God in human nature. So God made a covenant with Abraham. And my friends... Do you remember in Genesis, God puts Adam to sleep. And once he has fallen asleep, he takes a rib from him and creates something new. And here, the same thing is happening with Abraham. We are told he is put into a sleep. And when he goes into the sleep, he sees the covenant. You see in the covenant, two people bind themselves together. And the whole notion of it, uh, they would walk between, in this case, the animal that was sacrificed. And they cut the animal in half. And if either one broke the covenant, they would end up like the animal. So God puts Abraham to sleep so that he cannot walk through it. Only God walks through it. Because God will be faithful and just by chance that Abraham and his descendants cannot, it will not bind them that way. And just as God created something new once he put Adam to sleep, so he created the new covenant with Abraham while he slept. And he had the image of the fiery torch walking through the center of the animal. And my friends... 
God makes this covenant with Abraham, and Abraham responded to the promise of God with great faith and obedience. Abraham never questioned or doubted God's promise, but in all things gave God glory. And we knew, you know, the test that comes. What Abraham is asked to do with his son. This is why I say he never doubted God, but gave him glory in all things. In the faith of Abraham, God found what he did not find in Adam and Eve. Your faith, and this goes against what my professors say. They tell me never to say you to your congregation. Always say we. You. Your faith continues the restoration of the image of God in human nature. Because we are the descendants of Abraham. So your faith continues this restoration that God started with Abraham. Abraham believed that God would bring new life into the world. The disciple of Jesus Christ today believes that God will bring new life also through the risen Christ from the tomb, resurrection, everlasting life. Because of the resurrection of Christ, the faithful disciple will rise again. This is the guarantee of salvation. Living in faith, you perpetuate the restoration of the image of God in humanity. By faith, then, individuals cooperate in the work of restoring the image of God in human people. The way they were created in the beginning. God requires of us what he required of Abraham, faith and obedience. In our second reading, St. Paul. At first, I was kind of surprised because he says, imitate me. And I thought, my goodness, that is boastful. But then when you realize what he was put through and that he was faithful and obedient to the Lord. And at the time, um, he, when he's writing to this community, the Philippians, the Philippi, things were awry there. Things were getting, it was a very young community. And he says, be imitators of me, a follower of Jesus Christ. What St. Paul meant, uh, he, we hear in the Mass. Because he's speaking to them about the hope of salvation in and through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we would hear Paul, what well, we would hear in the preface of the Liturgy of the Eucharist, when the priest says, lift up your hearts. Paul invited the Christians of Philippi to lift up 
their hearts. St. Paul exhorted them to imitate him who is obedient to Christ and have faith in Christ. You see, at the time also, like I said, it was a young church and there were people opposed to St. Paul and they were teaching all kinds of crazy alternatives in Christianity which caused division and which caused confusion and in the longer version of the second reading, Paul, uh, he has some really tough words to say. And I thought, don't let this pastor go, Paul, on you guys, because you will have me out of here. <laughs> but he talks to them and he says that their bellies are full. And because uh, what, the, what was being put forth was because they were so spiritually pure... God had no concern for their bodies anymore, and they can do whatever they wanted. And he went on to say, and their glory is in their shame. Because, because Jesus Christ paid a price, they were now free without any restraint. They could do whatever they wanted. These are the alternatives that Paul is fighting in that community. And he he would say in the longer reading, they are occupied with earthly things. And he would call out what Jesus did often, you hypocrite. You say you are of spirit, but you're simply concerned with money, 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 power, power, power. Your actions make you a hypocrite. And this is what Paul is fighting. And this is why he says, imitate me in my obedience to Christ and in giving him glory in all things. Lift up your hearts. There is victory and there is salvation. But Paul will say it needs to be continued, meaning we must be obedient to Christ. Paul was an exemplar model of Christian living. He spoke of the need for a constant striving for salvations, Philippians 3, 12. My friends, in our Mass, when we come together, we are invited to lift up our hearts, no matter what's going on, no matter how rough it is, because we have the hope of salvation. The celebration of the Mass is the sacramental celebration of the Paschal Mystery, which is the victory over sin and death and the resurrection. And this is why the Christian is to lift up his or her heart. In it, we are reminded of the death and resurrection of Christ. Lift up your hearts when you leave here, wherever you may go. In your home, in your work environment. You are to lift up your heart. And for all of you wearing green, not only shall you lift up your Guinness, but you will lift up your heart because of the salvation promised by Christ. We are to live with hearts uplifted in anticipation of the coming of Christ. 
we know the salvation he brings will transform humanity. Christ will transform us with the power of his Paschal mystery. And when he does, we shall be like him as he is now, resplendent in glory, the glory of the Father. We must be like St. Paul with our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus, or as he says, standing firm in the Lord. And we must do what Abraham did. We must do what the disciples did, what the apostles did. We must do what St. Paul did. We must do what Jesus himself did, as we heard in the gospel. We must pray. The gospel said he was transfigured while he prayed. He changed while he was in prayer. Now, my friends, we do not know the precise nature of the prayer offered by Christ in that moment to his father. But he likely was asking, as he always did, for his father to assist his disciples because they surely was not accepting the fact that the Messiah was going to die and suffer. So he prayed that they would have grace. Other times, Peter, I pray for you that you will not fail when Satan comes. So he prayed for grace. Jesus prayed often. And on this occasion, while he was in prayer, he was transfigured. And the physical changes were the effects of our Lord's prayer, as the gospel said, while he was praying. These things changed. And my friends, here's the sleep thing again. The apostles went to sleep. Now, according to the history professors in my seminary, that wasn't a big mountain for them to climb. They were not exhausted by the mountain's climb. But they fell asleep. And when they had fallen asleep, God came to do something. But then we are told, becoming fully awake, they glimpsed the glory of their Lord, and they were changed. Do you remember the name of the cloud? Remember, we learned this. What is the cloud that comes? Begins with an S. Shekinah. Shekinah means the presence of God. Not only the presence, but him doing. So here we see the cloud come. And we're told they're afraid, and I get it. I'd be afraid too. <laughs> At first, probably it's kind of spooky. But they glimpse the glory, and they themselves are changed. For us, prayer transforms our lives. Through prayer, 
suffering is dignified. Through prayer, it keeps our souls strong in the face of challenge. Prayer elevates the minds of the disciples to divine ideals and precepts. I'm talking about you, I'm not talking about the original 12. Through prayer, weak faith can become strong. Through prayer, the discouraged person takes new heart and is transformed. Prayer offers the soul divine consolation. In prayer, the human heart can open to God. In prayer, the human heart can be filled with the presence of God. Prayer produces peace in the human heart. And no matter how hidden God may seem to a person, through prayer, he is revealed to the person. My friends, what happened to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Tabor, will happen to those who will faithfully follow Jesus Christ. One day, being faithful and walking in holiness, we shall be transformed into everlasting glory. We will be utterly changed. But we must be attentive to the very words we hear the Father say in that epiphany moment. This is my begotten one. Listen to him. My friends, I have to tell you in the Greek, listen is translated into obey. This is my son. Obey him. Peter said to Jesus, Master, how good it is to be here. So I'm going to take those words and adapt them. How good is it for us to be here? And to be here and to pray. How good is it to be transformed by prayer? And the greatest prayer that we have this morning is the sacrifice of the Mass. My friends, during the Lenten season, more so than ever, your, past, your pastor gets very impassioned. And I've made my apologies for four years to you about it. So, all of this, my homily to you, is to encourage, to get you to continue the work of restoration. We can argue about why does God go about doing the way he does. I don't care. We just need to do it. Because I want what was taken from us. I want what was thrown away by our ancestors. 
Genesis chapter 3. In the midday breeze, God walked in the Garden of Eden. And he looked for Adam. And on that occasion, he said, where are you? I want to be in the garden. That belongs to us. But instead of hearing, where are you? I want to hear God say, good day, priest. And for me to say, indeed, my Lord, it is a good day. Because in that transformation, in that restoration, people who live in fear and their hearts are broken will no longer live that way. People who are afraid of different things, whether it be disease or hatred or rejection, they will no longer feel that. No more hatred, no more war. I want what belongs to us. Don't you? But as we wait, because I don't want St. Paul to be angry with me, because I've given you a lift up your homily, lift up your heart homily. While we wait, God gives us glimpses of his glory in the rising of the sun in the morning, in the setting of the sun. We get glimpses of his glory when we see a mother and father with joy in their heart as they look at their child. And for me, I get a glimpse from time to time when I walk and see a field of sunflowers. And most importantly, we get a glimpse of that glory every time the Eucharist is celebrated. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up.